How do you join people who you may not understand, whose background and life experiences are maybe very different than yourself? We have a great opportunity today to access what is great motivation, where therapists of all ethnicities want to get better at working cross-culturally. Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. Welcome back. We're so glad to be back with you. Sorry for our delay. Uh, a lot going on in the world, but uh, we're looking back to looking forward to getting back in a rhythm with you. We're broadcasting today from a snowy Northwest Arkansas, uh, which is fun for me. And we have a great topic, working cross-culturally, developing fluency to working with people who may have different backgrounds than ourselves. I can't tell you how much of an honor it is for me to work with Dr. James Hawkins, our host here today. I, I literally think he's one of the best people in the world at this topic. Ooh, yeah, right. a little pressure. That, little yeah, pressure, all right. And I, I'm not just saying that because uh, James has a, a unique gift to talk about these hard topics in a way that is heartfelt and personal, but also not reactive and, and in a way that really opens up space where more people can join the discussion and have a meaningful dialogue that can make a difference. You can't change a system linearly. Mm -hmm. To change a system, we have to work together. There has to be multiple people moving and seeing problems and, and doing this together. So just our topic comes from some questions we've gotten. So we'll just start with kind of a general one. Okay, go ahead. You know, for a therapist from the majority culture, mm -hmm. what are the most important points to working with people, maybe from a marginalized system? And, you know, I know you've been doing a lot of great work with a lot of people on this, James. And so I'm just excited for you to, to join us here and share what you've been learning 100%. with our podcast. And I just even I do want to give a shout out to some of those people that I've been able to work with because I really believe in that African proverb that it takes a village, you know. Um, even just yesterday, I got to do a training with um, a great supervisor out of the Tampa area, Dr. Catherine McKay. If you're looking for an EFT supervisor to help you, I think she's great. She's excellent. Yes, yeah, she is. Um, and I definitely got to shout out my friend, Dr. Paul Gilroy, who's a, a trainer in training. And I think just recently named to the ICEF board. Thankful for Paul. Um, he actually has a book coming out here uh, in May. And his book is called Emotionally Focused Therapy with African American Couples, and that'll be with uh, the Rutledge Company. So you want to you want to learn from someone that as as soon as he starts talking, you're like, whoa, yeah. wisdom. Yeah. That's Paul. He's a fantastic resource. Very much. I mean, he has an extensive history of work. So once again, I look forward to that book coming out in May 2021. Once again, that is Emotionally Focused Therapy with African American Couples by Dr. Paul Guillory. Um, him and there's so many others. I think about my my friend that's Jewish in New York, Alana Katz, a great trainer up there in the New York area. Uh, my friend, Dr. Catherine Ream, you, Ryan, too, George Fowler. And so what I'm saying all that is I'm naming out these people, and I don't name everyone's ethnicity or religious or those different backgrounds, but I'm learning in a village of people who are contributing. So, but back to that question you're kind of saying. Uh, Dr. McKay, she said something that was interesting to me. We were doing a training for facilitators in an EFT externship. She's like, we have to be able to be aware of what we even bring into the room. 
So even for that, that, that therapist that maybe is white or from the, the majority group, and that could be even the majority where maybe I might be in the room and there is another male in the room and then there's a female or whatever that could be, right? What is, what I want to be aware of what I bring to the room and how, especially for the therapist, because we have such a responsibility and our presence in some ways already can be carry a, a, a greater weight in a way because we're kind of setting the tone and the pace and the environment. So I want to know how what I bring into the room affects the dynamics. And so that's knowing about me. What are some of the things and ways and how I, that shaped how I see the world and how, I, how it impacts how I view other people? I want to be very aware of that. So in some ways, it's not leaking out onto my client in ways that, are, that can become blocks in therapy. So I even asked ther that therapist to say, you know, what are some key indicators about things that are important to you about how you identify yourself and how they impact how you show up with other clients? One of our mentors, George Fowler, I love what he said the, in another externship we just had. George, he is about keeping focus in therapy and not letting kind of interruptions take over. And so George is okay with asking for permission to say, I'm sorry, I need to jump in here. Sorry for interrupting you. And you're good at that one too, Ryan. But George called, he said, you know, I recognize how that's different for me as a white male to do that than maybe for other clinicians, maybe for a female therapist or for a client that maybe is from a minority ethnic group to show up. George is catching how his presence affects how he might show up in the room. And so that I just thought that was great awareness on his part. Yeah, I like what you're saying. I think sometimes that doesn't get enough conversation because you know, really identifying yourself and what you bring to the table can be missed. That's it's right. kind of like accents when you talk. That's right. Right? The people that you are around most of the time, you don't notice that they have an accent. Right? So it seems like other people are the ones that have an accent. <laughs> the fact is, all of us have an accent. So I think recognizing your accent, recognizing where you're coming from is, is absolutely essential to being fluent to work with people who might be different. That's right. And especially in this area, Ryan, because this is when I got to learn from my, one of my friends, and I really appreciate her vulnerability and authenticity. But she was talking about working with, a, with her therapist around some trauma issues from her past. And she, and she was like, my therapist is doing a great job. She's really doing a great job. But then when some things happen in society, it hit on another part of her and her own ethnic and cultural identity. And so because she had built this bond with her therapist, she's like, you know what? I need to bring this forward to her because she's helped me with this other piece of my trauma. I think she can really help me here. And she went to go bring it forward, and the therapist was not able to meet her there and blocked it. And that kind of sucks, right? And so what my friend decided to do was she then said, you know what? To protect my other trauma work, I'll leave this part of me out of the therapeutic process. We're not really winning in therapy when our clients have to begin to make those choices. Now, let me come over to the side of her therapist, though, to help her, right? Because in your question, I don't think she's a bad person. What I think that might have happened to her, and it sucks for her, but it's part of what we're trying to heal in society. She might not have even recognized what she was bringing into the room. And so her client brought up something that confronted a part of her that she might not have explored yet. I don't know if when my client brought that up, did it bring up uh, some stories from her family that she maybe felt bad about, some guilt? Um, and maybe actually her shutdown was an attempt to try and protect her client because it hurt her own heart and she didn't want to hurt her client more, right? So it's all kinds of things, good reasons why that might have happened. It just sucks for how it landed for the client, though. Right. I like that. It's a really rich discussion. 
um, I'm, I'm sitting there sorting through, have I made mistakes like that? Probably have, probably have, which I think is important. That's where we got to start, right? right. None of us have this fluency. Perfect. I, I think it could be self of the therapist in that case. I'm also thinking, is it possible that our training could make this happen? Yes. It could be that that therapist saw this as content or saw this as a block. That's right. And, you know, in previous episodes and future episodes, we're going to be talking about recognizing blocks. But it's important in this episode Mm -hmm. and in our practice to recognize this kind of conversation is not a block. Mm -hmm. When it comes to marginalization, racial issues, the groupings where that have not been equal, that's not content. This is so closely tied to people's identity. It, we know that it drastically affects people's attachment strategies, mm-hmm. meaning if they're a pursuer or a withdrawer, mm-hmm. the intensity at which they operate in those stances are directly impacted by cultural issues. So this is not content. This is attachment important material. Yeah, and Ryan, I want to offer up, you know, I am a very hopeful person. And that's why I do think this moment in time, why I want to even mention Paul's book, is because you're right, in training, even in a way, because of of um of 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 the effects of maybe systemic racism things from the past, we in even our graduate level training have not had opportunity to learn these things and study these things together. And so now we have these people, and I'm so I'm thankful for Paul who's done this work. He's a professional, an academian himself, right? And now he's coming in and offering his voice and his piece. So now we're getting to learn how to all do this together. And so I just think that that's something that's so hopeful in a, in a way to look at this too. Right? Um, so, so part of, so even with that question, so how can, for a white therapist, one question I always say is, you know, I, I said it already. One is how has your ethnic identity impacted your experience and your expression of your own emotion? And also how does it impact how you interact with other people? Like, you know, and that's even looking at your own life. Who are the people like maybe for you in your own life that have impacted your view of the world, how you learn to understand therapy? Um, and so I, I encourage that person to get consultation. I do the, I, you know, we do that here definitely within our own practice in our own EFT community, just talking about different cultural elements. You know, I go home sometimes and I'm like, hey, I just did it the other night. I said, honey, help me understand in your Caribbean culture. What did you learn about emotion or what were some spoken or unspoken rules that you learned within your cultural context about the expression of emotion? And what my wife shared was not very unique just to Caribbean culture. Actually, what I ended up finding out, oh, that's pretty normal to just humanity, where it's like she says pretty much what I learned, not that this is true for everybody, was that we could express things like anger and frustration, but we didn't really do soft emotions. I'm like, oh, well, that's the issue in America, too. <laughs> right. Um, so that's something that I definitely, I learned. Did you have another question? No, I just, I, I really want to stay centered on your voice. You're the expert oh, okay. here, but I just, okay. I, I'll make a quick comment. I, I have two other names I think are great. Dustin and Joy McGowan oh, in our yes. offices. Dustin is a, a Facebook friend of mine. You know, that means you really know each other when you're on Facebook. <laughs> now he's a great voice in this conversation too, locally. And, uh, he, he asked a question. I don't know exactly how he was saying it, but basically how often do you think about your own race? I think my answer, this is maybe a year or two ago, is is potentially a problem for us as white therapists. And my answer is I never think about it. That's right. I don't identify myself as white per se. Um, I don't defend whiteness. Like I don't, that doesn't really 
register with me. The problem with that is just because it doesn't register with me doesn't mean that it doesn't register with others. Mm -hmm. And if I don't pay attention to how I land, it can put me in a a paralyzed sort of neutralized state where I don't engage and don't recognize that I have a role here. And I think that's what's really, really key is to pay attention to that. 100%. So since you're centering my voice, one thing I learned from my friend Paul is he talks about, so even as a white therapist or from the majority, is being able to recognize that this is something that you do need to bring up in assessment, right? And, and what he means is, is just even at the beginning, asking some general questions like, hey, I do want to know, like, you know, we've done, we do things like family histories, we do attachment histories, right? Hey, I'm just kind of curious here, and this might not be something that's big for you, but I do want to know maybe how much does your cultural location affect your presenting issue? Or, you know, and how much do you want that to be a part of your therapeutic process? He didn't really give me that one, but that's something we've, you and I have learned even from our own clients here in our, in our clinic, right? Yeah, and I've seen Paul in session just sort of in, in midstream – you know, it's bring up the presenting problem and saying, as a person of color, that's right. how does this factor in? That's right. Right. So it's important that we take the risk to initiate conversations and open up that space, suggesting that we're comfortable with it. We want to know exactly. to not have the marginalization person have the responsibility to educate us. 100%. As therapists, we always, we set the tone of creating safety and for, for vulnerability to happen in the session. Um, another one I learned from my friend and colleague out in California, um, Lisa Palmer Olson. And one of the things that Lisa said, and she is a white therapist, that's why I'm bringing it up, because she's doing her own work around this too. And she said, James, one thing I'm learning, it's also about what's important is alliance and pacing. I said, all right, help me understand what you're saying, Lisa. She says, one, I do need to do the general cultural assessment in my initial assessment, but I might not always just be able to go for all of their racial trauma and pain right away. What I found is sometimes I need to work and get closer to them, let my like letting my humanity connect with their humanity, proving to them that I'm worthy of their trust and that I'm comfortable with them and then pace my way into that and then be willing to then as I go on in therapy. Let me check in again. I know we talked about this at the beginning, but I'm kind of curious now. It, you know, this part that you are of African descent or I saw her working with someone from the Caribbean, right? How much you maybe, I don't know, maybe how in your experiences in your workplace, have you had to lose parts of yourself in order to survive in the world? Right? And she's going for a deeper level question. It's like, I think I need to earn a little bit more trust sometimes before I go for those deeper level questions. So I like that idea, Lisa. Nice. It's a conversation you and I had yesterday privately. You yeah, know, that's right. This process of, uh, and I don't know how you would say it. What, what word did you use? Measuring. Measuring, yeah. You want to share that? Yeah, I do want to talk about that because I think that could that could offer my vulnerability to help um, my, my fellow colleagues. So I was talking to Ryan, um, and I think I didn't realize how much I measure myself in the world. Well, not just measure myself, but I measure my surroundings all the time. Um, and part of that is, and I would say as a black male to see, because I know that I that I, there are sometimes I'm in circles where I might like different music, different TV shows. I might have different expressions uh, linguistically. Um, also, there's a part of me that I've I, I don't know where I necessarily picked it up from Ryan, but I'm concerned about my size as a as a male. I'm a little bit more broad in, in my build, right? <laughs> yeah, if y'all, y'all can't see Ryan, but I call him Big Comfort, and Big does not mean he's little. But anyway, <laughs> no, but um. 
And so, but I measure is, are they threatened by my body presence? Are they intimidated by, are they uncomfortable with me? And so I measure like how my voice, the proximity of my body to someone, how much of my kind of cultural world can I share with people? And I like what you said back to me, right? If you want me to be talking about it, you like James, you know, in some ways there could be places where that's adaptable and that's great and that's good, but I'm concerned about how much of you, you lose in that process. And that takes a whole lot of energy to do that day in and day out. And I've heard you say it to me a couple of times, uh, even when I wasn't even thinking about it. I'm sorry, James, that you have to carry that. That's extra energy that I don't have to put out as a white male. And I'm like, wow, I wasn't thinking about it, Ryan. Thank you. Absolutely. And and thank you for sharing that, James. I know that's personal. So two things. It, it does concern me for you and for anyone who's having that same journey, because I think to measure and to have to constantly adapt in that way to who you're around means you have to start losing parts of yourself or at least not bringing them forward, That's right. which can be harmful to you. Mm-hmm. Also harmful to us because then the world doesn't get all of you that's right. and all the things that you bring to the table that's and the right. beauty and the talent that you have. So I think that's really key. So I appreciate you sharing that. It is a privilege of mine mm-hmm. and people like me, we also measure too. Everyone does it a little. You said mm-hmm. that, but I don't ever have to factor my race in. That's right. That's right. And, and so just what I want the uh, listeners to capture is, you know, James and I have been friends for, I don't know how long years before you told me any of that. That's right. All right, so let's think about that clinically now. Yeah. So if James is my black client and he's coming in talking about pick a topic anxiety, mm-hmm. if I don't know that he's measuring, mm-hmm. both in terms of how he, in his walk around world and in my office, mm-hmm. man, I've missed a huge piece of helping you. Mm-hmm. So that's where we have to take an active and assertive stance to say, I've really got to get into and understand what it's like to be him. Mm-hmm. With his presenting problem, with the cycles around that, but it, but also in his walk in his walk around world, I don't know if there's a better that's way to good. say that. Yeah, and I want to pull from that, Ryan. You just caught that. Like, it might not happen. It's not just you do it in the initial assessment. And this is me learning from our friend Alana Katz. She is very adamant about this. It's not just a one time, one off thing. Just like we've said in our podcast, attunement and alliance are things that you. It's not just in you know, it's not just step one of EFT, it's all throughout EFT that you're always checking attunement and alliance with your clients, right? Yeah, I, I, let's, can we get practical for one moment with that? And then you you clean me up if I mess this up. Okay. I like what Alana's saying. This should be integrated. That's kind of This should just be a part of how we train our ears mm-hmm. to hear, to conceptualize. That's right. And then it's attunement, right? That's right. But. It's, it's an intentional attunement, too, because part of measuring is you you maybe have trained yourself or maybe you've had to train yourself to survive other situations that were not safe mm-hmm. to not bring this dynamic up. That's right. Even right. though it is an absolutely central dynamic and tied to any presenting problem. Mm-hmm. So I think in the EFT, there's some predictable times when it might be most helpful to be curious. One is in assessment. Mm-hmm. I think, too, anytime the cycle starts to take over the session, mm-hmm. which happens the pain comes online, there's a reasonable chance it's going to activate that part of you Mm -hmm. where you have a conscious choice. I'm going to fight my way out of this held down position, or I'm going to placate this, Mm -hmm. both of which are kind of the same thing in opposite ditches. Mm -hmm. You know, in step three, when we're doing deeper work, the first time we're reaching down into those vulnerable places, that's a very likely time to activate 
this sort of place where you're there's already some woundedness and already having to hide yourself and then step five six in stage two of eft if you're familiar with our model when you're really going into model of self okay. and you're and you're having to bring bring forth the sides of you that you don't like which all of us have mm -hmm. And ask for that need to be met. That is a big ask for anyone. That's right. It's even bigger of an ask for someone who life has taught them to hide themselves. 100%. So uh, let me jump in on that part. I agree with everything you just said, by the way, Ryan. Those are key elements, and I hope our listeners caught. You just gave them a little bit of a, it's not perfect, but it's at least a map to say, when should I really have a little bit more heightened awareness around this. Another one, when I got to work with another, some colleagues of ours, Catherine DeBrun and Lisa Palmer Olson again, who they're saying, we're trying to really get better at this. So they let me do some consultation on a case for them. And what I'd recognized in their tape, and I've seen in other um, sessions, is I said, what you did that we wouldn't see as a cultural piece, but when I was watching them work with this black male, he had learned to shut down his emotions to protect himself and go into an isolated world. And what Lisa did with it when he did that is she didn't shame him for his protection. She didn't try and coach him out of his protection. She really validated it. She validated his protection and said, that makes so much sense to me. Of course, you, when this pain comes up for you, what you've learned to do is just try to turn it off and not turn to anyone and let it share. And you go into yourself and you try and find comfort for yourself there. And I said, why? And she says, well, why, you know, kind of like, you know, help me understand like how that pertains culturally. Now, this is just me from my own understanding. Um, for many, particularly thinking for some of the black friends and clients that I've worked with, is for many black people, we've learned to measure as well. I remember working with this one black professional, very strong, competent woman, but she had learned to swallow her voice to not upset, because her fear was, I'll upset my white constituents. They'll think I'm being too much. They'll think I'm being too angry, and they're just going to label me as the mad black woman. So I learned to swallow. Now I could say, hey, you shouldn't do that. That's not good for you. All the research says that's just bad for your body. And all I did with her was, of course, of course you do. And I'm so sorry. I, that even hits my body as you say that. That what you've learned to do to survive, to try and protect other people around, to try and kind of protect other people around you, not let things blow up on you. But it's also the thing that's hurting you right now. But that's what you feel like you end up having to do to try and kind of protect yourself. I'm so sorry for that. And then going that your dilemma, right? But then when you do that and you shut down, you hold your voice, what happens to you? I feel like I'm going crazy. My body starts freaking out and I have panic attacks. But then the other side is what? It's still scary too for me, James. That sucks. Can I just stay with you and work there? And so what? To, and then she went into, and she got really specific culturally, once again, like as a black woman. Right. And so what I want to, is like understanding that sometimes these are cultural adaptations that people make as a protection because they're just not quite sure if I can let these parts of me be seen. You gonna say something, Ryan? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so rich. We don't develop fluency until we're responded to. So if life has taught me or a marginalized person that part of me is unacceptable, I have to hide it. Then that part of me never gets responded to. If that part of me never gets responded to, I never develop fluency with it. Mm -hmm. You see, so now we have, we're, we've divided self again. So what an opportunity we have mm -hmm. to be with people in a way that helps them bring all of themselves back together. 
You did. You did just give me an uh, idea, though, for a future episode. Okay. So I just made a decision. Yeah, like four or five episodes now. We want to. I want to explore more of how marginalization affects pursuers Ooh. and withdrawers differently. So we'll get. We'll come to that in a few in a few weeks. You said so, that on air. Now we're accountable. I know. I know. That's, that's why I did it. So keep listening. So I know we want to kind of wrap. Get ready to wrap this up. Me and Ryan are trying to keep these shorter. But this was rich. Thank you for this experience, Ryan. I, even for me, if I just want to be vulnerable with you all. And I think this is important. This is just James being the optimist that wants the best for humanity. Even me as a black man being able to sit in this room with my friend Ryan, who on the physical outside is a, is a white male. Like it feels like, man, the world could be a better place when we can have more of these types of conversations and share the parts of us and respond to the parts as we each share in these different places. You know, But I think the key elements that are sticking out for me in this podcast, Ryan, when we're talking about this is being able to maintain open curiosity about my own location in the world and how my location impacts others. But also I'm curious about, I can be, because we, we wrote an article in the EFT newsletter about loaded attunement. If you want to read that in the EFT, me loaded attunement with George Fowler and Charlie Simpson. But it can be scary to open up these parts for our clients. And so that could cut off our curiosity when all we see is the a potential of a landmine blowing up and us hurting somebody, them getting mad at us. But we have to be able to be curious and explore our client's pain, how maybe their location in the world is impacting their presenting issue. Another key element is this is a significant part of building alliance. Alliance really, I think to me, if I'm learning anything, alliance really matters when you're working across really almost any type of difference. I do catch myself wanting to make sure I'm a male therapist, wanting my female clients to know that they can be safe with me. Because sometimes I've had, I'll say, so what is this like for you? Even as a female, I'm a male therapist, your husband's here. And they'll say something like, I was afraid that maybe you two would align against me. All right, so what is it? You know, I want to help you feel safe in that. So I want to make sure I build an alliance with her just because of that difference. Her brain is already like, is he going to miss me? And it can be so tempting for us to just ignore that and just try to be safe as opposed to go ahead and taking the risk to make it overt. Yep, and that leads into my next point. All right. You've got to be intentional. Just what you said earlier. We can't just leave it up to chance and hope it happens. You may be the safest person in the world, but your client probably needs to hear you say it. George gave me a good example of the day. He said he was working with a client who was a black client, was really in pain, and George just kind of conjectured. He said, I don't know what it's like to be a black male and to experience the world. But my gut just kind of tells me it's probably not always easy for you and it's really hard and you've probably learned some ways to protect yourself and it's sometimes probably hard to bring your full self forward. And George said the client looked up at him and said, there is no way in the world I thought you as a white therapist would get that. But it's good to hear that you do. <laughs> George, it's almost like I could hear a lot of emotion in his voice when he shared that. Like it just hit him, right? So intentionality really matters as well too. You have to take the risk as a therapist. To notice what just happened in that interaction. George responding to that part of his client brought that client alive. I'm sorry, brought that part of that client alive into the room and into that person's experience. That's an integration. That is a corrective experience right there. What it requires is of George, and, and you modeled for this a moment ago, I have to want to know. I have to be willing to stay close with that uncomfortable uncomfortableness. I have to be willing to stay curious and open and this is not easy, particularly when that's not necessarily what you're paying me for. Mm-hmm. You've given me goals. You've given me problems. There's pain. There's a cycle to track. There's all these other really important objectives to go for. It was just so easy to miss this. Mm-hmm. And what stinks about that is people are used to that. 
So that so we are actually doing what the cycle does again to not comment to not comment on the parts of people who who have they've had to measure mm-hmm. and had to hold back. And so in another part I want to bring in and I got it. I want to keep you know I really appreciate Alana. She's really been pushing on this for years in EFT circles. And what she would say is, once again, I like the word you say here too, Rain. It is integrated. It is a part of it. It's not something separate. It's not a one-off. It's something that you do need to breach in the beginning clearly and always monitor throughout as well. So it is integrated into it. Yeah, just real quickly, let's talk about the other side. We have, it's much more likely for us to make mistakes of not addressing it not taking the risk, which you're right. I've had those great conversations with Alana as well. And that's her exact phrase, take the risk. Therapists should take the risk, ask these uncomfortable questions. EFTers do not ignore things, especially anything that affects attachment, mm-hmm. which marginalization absolutely does. Mm-hmm. There is another side. Go ahead. Can you overdo this? Yes. What would that look like? I'm glad you did that, Ryan. So me and Ryan, we talked one time. I remember it was like in the short sp- period of time um, I got two uh, black female clients who came from other therapists and they both had different stories. For one client, I'm like, hey, you switched out. Kind of help me understand like what, what brought you here to work with me. And in her story, it was my therapist would never address the issue of race. It is very much pertinent to what I'm in for and what I'm what I'm struggling with. And my therapist wouldn't breach it. OK, so that client. So that for that therapist, they wouldn't go there. Then I had a, a little while later, I had another uh, black uh, uh, female come in and she was bringing in, a, it, was a, it was a family case. And I said, hey, help me understand what brought you in. You were working with another therapist. My therapist, just all she focused on, she just kept saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know what it's like to be a black. She just kept doing it, kept doing it. She's like, I need you to help me and my family. Can you please help me and my family? And the therapist could never get a tune with what her other clinical part, what she, she was bringing in. I think attunement's the right word. And I think we don't want to, the other ditch is, I think we don't want to bring bring forth stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I want to be careful not to assume That's right. that Asian people are like this or 100%. black people are like this. We, in some ways, every family is their own culture. That's right. So I think that's back to that attunement alliance process. Mm-hmm. And one little last practical thing I want to offer, and this is something, I wrote some cultural assessment questions and we'll probably say that for another episode, but I do want to share the one that I sent a question and I, in my one of my EFT mentors, Catherine Ream, who's out of the Washington Baltimore Center, her and I kind of collaborated and really revised the question. And now this is one of my main questions now. And the way she asked it is, and we both ask it now, but it's, so I'm just kind of curious here, is I'm just wondering how has your ethnic identity impacted your experience of your emotions and of the world and how is that impacting the current relationship that we're coming in with today? If particularly when she's talking about a married couple or something, well, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that last part. And she said, and how does it impact your relationship when you two talk about this? And particularly at that time, she was talking about an interracial couple. And how does this impact your relationship when the two of you talk about it? I was like, Catherine, I love that question so much and how you revise parts of it. And she says, what do you mean? I loved how she just folded in emotion She's folded in an attachment and then she left it open for the client to then go into what you're saying. She didn't stereotype. You tell you let me into your world about how it impacts your relationship. So that way she can get an assessment for the client versus her reading her own view onto it. So, And certainly this applies to other forms of marginalization, well, sexual orientation, gender identity, anything non-traditional. I mean, it's, 
it's heartbreaking if you allow it to, to think about that someone's experience of life is that some part of me is so awful, I can't even have it in the room with you. Like literally, they say coming out of the closet. Like that's, that's, that's a universal lingo around the world. That's right. Well, let's think about the, how tragic that is. That's right. That I literally have to hide myself. That I'm so awful, I have to go to the closet. That's right. And so when we're working with people, you know, in that world, it's so crucial that we take the risk that they that they that they see that it affects us, mm-hmm. that it matters to us, and we see the struggle. And when that happens, it's amazing how the work comes alive. That's right. And so I guess my closing statement on this is my hope for all of us as therapists as we listen to this is that no client has to take a part of themselves in the therapy room when we're asking them to, we want to help them to be able to heal and to grow, that they have to take a part of them and put it into the closet because in some way it will block the therapeutic process. So as much as in an attuned way, we want to invite their full humanity to be involved in the experience because for EFT, it is an experiential change model. And so we want to be able to invite their full humanity into that experience. I like how the idea is evolving here, right? I mean, what we're really saying is we go into the closet with them mm-hmm. to see them, to honor them so that, you know, we change the room. No, it doesn't have to be a closet anymore. You know, when people are left alone in pain that they don't do well. That's right. And so here's our opportunity to, to make a difference. Yeah, and it's been my honor to be a part of this podcast. And just, just thinking really quickly, I want to make sure that we're always doing right by people and uh, making sure that we honor the voices that have helped us. So especially the, the, the voices that are people of color. So just real quickly, people that we talked about today, uh, Zamed Berhey, I probably, I probably butchered her last name. I butchered my own, uh, and Fion, Fion Villados. I'm somewhere close there. They're out of San Diego. They're fantastic resources, fantastic people. Catherine McKay out of Tampa, Florida, Paul Guillory out of San Francisco with his wonderful new book coming out. Mm-hmm. And Joy McGowan and Dustin McGowan. They're out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Just run those names by you because they're they're great resources. I know you can look them up. They would love to connect with you and uh, be a part of, of your journey. Thank you for listening. We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com. And you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Reyna Professional Training and on his website, ryanreynatraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at DocHawk LPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com. Mm-hmm.